Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. Great to be with all of our listeners today, and we're so thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts literally all over the world. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and check us out in person. Study God's Word with us every Sunday and Wednesday night. Bible classes on Sunday morning begin at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, we come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to get our spiritual batteries recharged to be able to better take on the rest of the week. Uh, we come back together each Wednesday evening at 6.30 for midweek Bible classes. Now, you're welcome to any and all of these services, and we encourage you again, come check us out in person. Let Get to know us. Let us get to know you, and worship God with us, study his word with us, and grow spiritually and in faith with us. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. Now, we know that there are people, even in the Omaha area, who cannot get out very well. And so here's an alternative for you. You can, you can go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button, tell them, take advantage of this yourself as well, if you haven't done so already, sign up for our podcasting. Now, it's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when you sign up for our podcasting, you will automatically receive to your smartphone or computer or whatever smart device you choose, Wednesday night Bible class, Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily, uh, five-day-a-week, Monday through Friday, radio program that we call Search the Scriptures, and a seven-day-a-week short Bible study, only about 13 minutes each day, but that gets us in God's Word, keeps us in God's Word, and we call that today's Bible class. Again, just a short study every day, but it keeps us in God's Word, helps keep us focused on our relationship with God and upon our spiritual lives. Now, if you're listening to this, somebody sent it to you, or maybe you're already in our podcasting, share these studies with everybody you can. You can do that through Facebook friends, Facebook uh, Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means. But share with everybody you can in your life. You know people who need to become more spiritually focused. Help them by getting them into God's Word through these podcasts, and you may end up helping them turn their life around and ultimately be in heaven. That'll be a great blessing for both them and you. So make that commitment and start sharing today. We're going to get back into our study from Second John. And again, this is just one short chapter, only 13 verses. But as we have noted and been experiencing in our studies of James and First and Second Peter and First John, Second John is no exception. Even though it's only 13 sh- uh, verses, very short chapter, very short letter, we should say, uh, from the Apostle John, really from God through the Apostle John, we see that this is filled with instruction for the individual Christian. And from a broader perspective, for those who have not yet become Christians, but need to know about Christianity and need to understand that if they want to be, if they want to be in heaven for all of eternity with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they need to become Christians. Well, so we are picking up with verse five 
And I'll read the first four verses just to, um, you know, for continuity's sake, bring us back into focus. And so John begins this letter by identifying himself as the elder. And then he says, to the elect lady and we and her children, and so we're talking about the church, the elect lady, I think we're to understand it that way, and her children, all those Christians who make up the church, all right? So, and her children, and another uh, translation there for, uh, for, for, let me see here, Okay, I'm, I'm, oh, yes, for the elect lady, the chosen. And, and, and so, you know, again, we're talking about the church. And when we say, and, and her children, we're, we're still really talking about the church, but we're talking about all of those individual Christians who make up the church. And we've emphasized in, in various studies as we go through all of these uh, lessons that we teach in various formats in podcasting and radio programs and so on, the church is not the building. That's simply a facility in which the true church meets. Unfortunately, a whole lot of denominational people, they focus on the building as their church. That's not the church. But even those of us who understand that, we still, yeah, we still kind of fall into that mindset by way of reference when we say, yep, going to church today. Well, we're going to the church building, but it's the church who goes to the building where the church meets. The individual Christians make up the church. So the elder, John, he's the one writing this or the penman that that is being used by God to write this letter. So he's addressing this to the church and her children or all of those individual Christians who make up the church whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Now again, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8 and verse 32. And how do we come to understand how to become a Christian, our need to become a Christian? What happens as we become a Christian? that as we're baptized into Christ, Romans 6 and verse 3, that we die to that old life of sin, and we are reborn spiritually as we're baptized into Christ because the blood that he sheds on the cross at that point cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. And so we become a new creation from a spiritual perspective, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. So this letter is written primarily to Christians true Christians, but certainly the principles would apply to everybody who has yet to become a Christian because they need to learn that Christianity is the way to salvation and to eternal life in heaven. In verse 3, John goes on and he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And we focused on the next verse considerably over the last couple of times together. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. Now, we've talked about how because we're human beings, we're fickle. We are, at times, we're even wishy-washy, at least some of us more than others. And so I've seen a great many people learn the gospel of Christ, become Christians, and then fall away. They become unfaithful. 
They, they don't stay dedicated. And when we think about the parable of the sower that Jesus taught, when you look at that, there's four different areas that the seed fell on, and only one of those produced lasting fruit, and that was the good ground. And so a whole lot of people hear the gospel, and many of them become to believe in the gospel of Christ. They come to believe in Jesus as their Savior, and they become, they're baptized. They become Christians, but then they within a fairly short period of time, or maybe a little more extended time, they, they become unfaithful and they drift away, as the Hebrews writer puts it. Well, in verse 5 is where we pick up with Ernest today. And so here, Paul, uh, John goes on and says, and now I plead with you, lady, okay, the church, all Christians, all true Christians, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Boy, John continues to hammer on this particular theme in his first letter and second letter, and that is that we have a commandment from our Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, to love one another as faithful, dedicated Christians. On the night of his betrayal, going back to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he told the apostles who were gathered with him at that time, now the next day he'd be on the cross, but he tells the apostles, a new commandment, commandment, not suggestion, not good idea, not I would really encourage you, I'd recommend you to, to do this. No, he says, this is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples or my followers, my true followers, if you have love for one another. And so John, Jesus says, this is a commandment I'm giving to you, and this is a commandment that will, that will lead you if you follow it faithfully and live by it faithfully, it will lead you to stand out among society as a whole. I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Now, again, the next day he'd be on the cross for them. Now, I know for all of humanity, but he'd be on the cross for them as well. I want you to love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, by this, all will know the non-Christian world they will recognize the difference in you because of the love that you have for one another because you are my disciples, my true followers. You're Christians. Now, that's important. And that is a quality of Christianity that should stand out in our lives, all of us, all of us who are true Christians. That quality of loving one another should stand out in our lives. When you look at the 17th chapter of John, it's the same immediate context. It's still the night before Jesus' betrayal. But in this 17th chapter, he's praying for first, and a great deal of this, of this particular chapter is focused on his prayer for his apostles. When Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, arose from that grave. He continued to walk upon the earth and present himself risen before hundreds and hundreds of witnesses for the next 40 days. And then he ascended back to heaven. The apostles would carry on that ministry. 
would carry on the teaching of that gospel message of salvation, they would, they would be the ones who would be there as the church was established on Pentecost and begin to spread the teachings of Christianity all over the known world at that time. Well, in that 17th chapter, Jesus prayed in verse 20 to the Father. He said, I do not pray for these alone. So he, up until this point, he's been primarily focused on praying for those apostles. But in verse 20, he kind of shifts gears, and he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, all who would become Christians through their teaching. They, that, they all, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so he's praying there that for all of those who are taught the gospel, beginning with the apostles after Jesus' ascension back to heaven and the establishment of the church just 10 days later on Pentecost, and then for all of those who would become Christians and then carry that same message of Christianity back home to their loved ones and friends and work associates, and so Christianity would spread all throughout the known world. And he says that they all, all of those who become true Christians, may be one as completely united as you, the Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus is praying to God the Father. Now, there's no disunity between God the Father and God the Son. There's no differences of opinion, differences of philosophy, differences in doctrine. They're totally, absolutely united, completely. And that's the kind of unity, the degree of unity that Jesus prayed for on the night of his betrayal, for all of those who would become true Christians. And again, one important result of that would be that the world would see that unity and believe that Jesus truly is the Savior, the Savior of all mankind. The world needs that degree of Christian unity today. Unfortunately, they don't see it very well or very, on a very widespread basis because the whole principle of denominationalism has divided Christianity into all kinds of contradictory doctrinal beliefs and teachings from one denomination to another. And that should not be. Well, we come back to 2 John then, verse 5, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that which that we love one another. And so, that commandment from our Lord himself, that we, as his faithful, true, dedicated followers, Christians, should love one another. And not just love one another in word, but in deed and in truth. And John brought that out in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, 2 John, verse 6, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Oh, now, he's not talking here ultimately in its greatest depth, a love of just feeling or emotion, or again, as he brought out in 
in his first letter, chapter 3 and verse 18, just a spoken love. But he says, this is to be a love that is demonstrated, yes, to one another, but first and foremost, a love that is demonstrated to God. And we evidence that love for God by keeping his commandments. Again, what does verse 6 say? This is love that we walk according to his commandments. And when you go back to 1 John again, chapter 5 and verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. Now, going back to verse 2 in chapter 5, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, when we love God and keep his commandments. And verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So John is, is teaching here, and of course it's God through John, teaching us that our love cannot be just surface level and be the true depth of love that God wants from us. Our love has to be demonstrated through our life, through our lifestyle by living in faithful obedience consistently by the teachings of God's word. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And then he goes on in verse 6 of Second John and says, this is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Now, he's just emphasized in verse 5, the previous verse, that we are to love our fellow Christians. And going back to John 13, verses 34 and 35, as Christ has loved us. But he throws in here again, and here's the broader application. This is love that we walk according to his commandments, and that's plural. So according to all of the teachings of God's word, if we're going to be people who really demonstrate our love for God, then we're going to have to demonstrate that through our consistent obedience to God's teachings communicated to us through his word, the Bible, through the scriptures. In verse 7, John goes on in Second John, and he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, we've looked at that particular word before, an antichrist. And I'm afraid that a whole lot of people do not have the, the broader perspective of what an antichrist is. They just think an antichrist, well, that's, that's somebody who's, who's prophesied from their understanding in the book of Revelation becoming toward the end of times, and he's going to really deceive the world and so on. Now, how does John describe an antichrist here or identify an antichrist? Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, what about those religions out there? And there are some of those who have millions, and maybe in one or two cases, even a billion or more followers. So they, from a societal perspective, they are major religions, 
but they do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Son of God, come to earth in physical form. What does that make them in their teachings? What does John say here? Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. If someone is teaching against Jesus, being the Son of God and our Savior, come in the flesh, does not John here identify that that particular person as an antichrist? So he's not talking here just about atheists or agnostics or skeptics. He's talking about anyone who is teaching against Jesus being the Savior, the Son of God come to earth in human form almost 2,000 years ago. John says, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. So we're not talking about just some demon sent by the devil to deceive people. We're talking about anyone who teaches against Jesus being the Son of God and our Lord and Savior come to this earth in human form, bringing the message of forgiveness and salvation through him. And also within that message is that the only way to come to God is through Jesus as our Lord and Savior. John 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as we read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 from the apostles, speaking of Jesus, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, there are a lot of antichrists out there today. John, as we've noted when we were studying through 1 John, he mentions this particular identity a number of times, not only in 1 John, but here again in 2 John. And he even said in 1 John, there were antichrists already on the scene as he wrote that. That was almost 2,000 years ago, teaching against Jesus. Now, someone would say, and I think they're pretty shallow in their reasoning. I don't think they really understand the depths of what they need to be looking into before they make such a statement. But there are people who say, well, look, how can you say that all these people are wrong? What people? Now, understand, the Jewish people do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior come to earth. The Muslim people do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior come to earth. And there are other major religions who do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior come to earth. Now, it's an either-or. Either Jesus is our Savior, the Son of God, sent from heaven to this earth almost 2,000 years ago in human form, 
bringing the message of the gospel of salvation to us, the message of Christianity. Either he is true to that identity or he is not. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. Now, we know that he was not a liar. He was not a deceiver. He is God the Son. He is our Lord and Savior. And John, writing God's very word, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, here in 2 John verse 7, he says, people who teach against Christ as coming in the flesh, those people are deceivers and antichrists because they're against Christ. They're against believing in Jesus as the Savior, as the Son of God, as our Lord. Now, that's a tough lesson for a lot of people to accept because they are thinking from a more emotional perspective, I think, a lot of times. Well, all these people just can't be wrong. Yes, all those people can be wrong. We have developed a cultural mindset that everybody is okay. No matter what they believe or not believe or what they're doing or not doing, everybody's okay. No, that's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of God for humanity. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6 and verse 23. Now, the rest of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But notice the condition there, in Christ. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life only comes through Christ. As through him we come to God for forgiveness and salvation. Again, there is no other way. He is our Savior, our only Savior. And we need to understand that and grasp it and submit to that truth. Denying truth does not make it not to be true. And truth is not a popularity contest. It's the truth whether anybody believes it or not. And so John says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. That was in his day. 2,000 years later, today, it's still that case. Who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. We'll stop here. We'll pick up next time. Let's pray. Father, we pray, help us to not just believe in word, to not just love you in word or in tongue, but to love you in truth and in action and to demonstrate our love for you and our faith in you and in Jesus through consistent obedience to your teachings, consistent dedication to you through Christ. And Father, help us to 
be that positive, life-changing influence on people around us and all over the world. Please guide us to be the church you want us to be and to help people see all over the world that Jesus is their Savior, sent from you, their only Savior, and their only way to you. Help people open their eyes and soften their hearts to obey. We pray this, Father. We pray this. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. Gracious Father, in Jesus' name, amen.